Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined by Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and guest co-host Catherine O'Shaughnessy. All right, tonight, Oliver plays Monday evening quarterback on Orlando de Lasso's Lagrime di San Pietro, seen at Ravinia last week. And then in Chalk Talk, the Opera Wire website reports that soprano Elizabeth, Elizabeth Blank Biggs was recently fired from Maryland Lyric Opera's concert performances of Puccini's La Fanchula del West for standing up to abuse from the company's music director. Our team tries to figure out what happened. And around 9.40 p.m., it's the two-minute drill. You get everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land with our team's hot takes on those stories. Of course, don't forget, you can call us on air and get your voice heard during our two-minute drill segment. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. We want to hear your take on this week's stories. 847-866-9687. Or you can tweet us at Opera Box Score. And without further ado, Oliver Camacho. It's very exciting because the Bears are playing right now. And you know oh, how yeah. excited I get about Bears. The, the sports ball. <laughs> yeah, the sports ball. Yeah. Hey, wait, I do get excited about the sports ball. And I've talked about this before. The yeah. Chiefs, the Kansas City football Chiefs. Yeah. Ah, the football Chiefs. Their, their quarterback that they drafted last year threw six touchdowns yesterday and set an NFL record for the most touchdowns through the first two weeks of the season in NFL history, so I'm a little giddy. That, of course, is Tobias Wright. And Catherine O'Shaughnessy, do you have any opinions on the Bears or touchdowns or sports in general? Um, does the finale of the Big Family Cooking Showdown count? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's about as close to, as I get to sports <laughs> these days. <laughs> Catherine, what did you have for dinner? I had sous vide lamb loin chops. Like, oh. what the hell? Prime day delivered a sous vide, and I'm, I'm a happy girl. Why do we have so many good cooks on this show? And here <laughs> I am attempting to microwave just the latest, uh, you know, biscuit, you know, and it, it's just, it's a nightmare. An absolute nightmare. Um, Weston, can, I, I don't want to talk shop, but uh, can you hear Kathy through your... Oh, yeah, okay. I can hear you all, all, all good you. now. It was don't just your mic shop. that was broken before. We literally before. host a show about yeah. opera. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we do. All right, let's talk a little bit of opera. Pass or fail? Here's Monday evening quarterback. And, uh, yeah, so that, I loved that intro, by the way. Thank you so much, Norm, for that one. Oliver, what have you got yes. for us up at Ravinia? Well, this is interesting. Um, so last um, week, there was this show at Ravinia, which was directed by Peter Sellers. Uh, it was actually a set of madrigals, like late Renaissance madrigals, by the Italian composer uh, Orlando di Lasso. And obviously, this is this predates opera, 
So it really doesn't have any business being uh, on this show as a topic. <laughs> well, I but, feel I feel like that's something that Peter Sellers does a lot. I remember, um, I mean, he does. I mean, obviously, he's not the only one who stages like handle oratorios and things like that. But he, his takes on those are often so operatic in nature um, that I think they do have a place, certainly at least within the conversation, even though they do come with that bit of an asterisk. Right. Well, at any rate, uh, this thing happened at Ravinia, and I, I, I was super interested in seeing it because um, I'm into this type of music, and uh, those people who've, who've listened to my other show know mm. that one of the things that I really love, like all-time greatest things, is uh, Peter Sellers' um, Theodora, um, the video that he conducted, which has Don Upshaw and Lorraine Hunt before she was Lorraine Hunt Lieberson. And uh, Lorraine Hunt sings As With Rosie Steps, and it is one of the most exquisite, most sublime things ever put on film. And the chorus, um, you know, is in the background. They're they're behaving like dancers, and they're mm. moving with her, and it looks really, really, like, spiritual and sort of dancey, but not really dancey. It just, just looks like beautiful, timed, like, Thai prayer-like type of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, and so I knew that that was the aesthetic I'd be getting into with this uh, Pietro de San, Lagrime di San Pietro, uh, translates into St. Peter's Tears. And uh, the thing is, is that this music, I love this music. And I think one of the best ways to experience it is to actually sing it yourself, just to be in that choral texture and to hear those crunchy dissonances mm. and, you know, beautiful lines and just being part of that sound. Um, it's hard to pull that off as a standalone piece in a pavilion. So Ravinia Festival, for those who don't know, is our outdoor North Shore of Chicago uh, summer festival. And the pavilion probably seats like 3,000 people or something yeah. like that, you know? And then there's like a lawn, which you can have another like 5,000 people on. So 20. Okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a huge, it's a huge venue. It's massive. And um, yeah, it just seems like something that's a bit intimate musically for Was that well attended that large of a space no um, it's I have to say like I don't want to poo poo Ravinia because you know they hooked me up with tickets all the time but like <laughs> they sort of do a big marketing push um, at the beginning of the summer at the end of the spring when they announce their season and then there's like all this you know messaging about you know these tickets go on sale then you know but then once the season begins you don't really hear a lot about what's happening and I think they're kind of relying on their popular music performances they're like pop and bluegrass and stuff like that they're 50 cent concerts yeah <laughs> to you know to pay the bills and then there are things like this which are very niche you know even for classical music audiences it's pretty niche i, I mean, did i did find it an interesting programming choice because i feel like this is uh, certainly something that i think goes along with sort of the summer festival aesthetic you know where you you're not doing just the, the same uh, war horses you're doing stuff for more popular music more uh more uh you can do edgy stuff but you know it still has to appeal to a wide right. audience and i feel like something from the well, renaissance could, could more like an early music summer festival right. not right Ravinia. and like it's like a little mini festival that they put uh, at the end of their season because the day before they'd had uh, Conspirare hmm. performing the new piece called Remembering Matthew Shepard or something like that. Yeah. That's like, mm -hmm. I forget exactly what it's called. Uh, so they had two choral works back to back. And last year they had Room Full of Teeth and usually they'll bring in Chanticleer oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So there is a place or a precedent for doing choral music or this kind of like chamber choral music at Ravinia. But um, yeah, it was a little bit 
disappointing to see the turnout. I mean, they had a good, they had a decent crowd for end of summer, kind of a chilly night. But uh, it definitely, like I said, I didn't know about it until I looked at the count. It's like, oh my god, that's happening, and I want to go. You know? Yeah. I... So let me just say that it was beautiful to watch, and that the performers who are the Los Angeles Master Chorale, conducted by Grant Gershon, I think is his name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were virtuosic. They did the entire program from memory. Um, tons of movement, movement while singing, movement while period l- movement. No, I think it was I, I, not with Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers I'd imagine. Kind of like <laughs> <a lot> of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. haven't heard that. I just was yeah. curious about the. Um, no, it that looked it looked like modern dance, sort of mm-hmm. like you know, um, and lots of like uh, you know crawling around on the floor, which I never like as a singer <laughs> to see other singers on the floor singing, but they did it so well and stayed in tune, and the tone wasn't sacrificed. There were many moments where the singers had to do something extremely core strength athletic like do a sit-up and is and lay back down the floor again like you're getting up like a dead person like a zombie you know like a lift up or pilates deal while you're singing that's Mm -hmm. hard yeah it's hard to do without singing you know (laughs) Uh, and the conductor also got into some of that movement stuff and so there was lots of beautiful movement and sometimes the tableau on stage lined up beautifully with the text and really added emotional content to the already emotional music and i if i may just uh, uh i have a little telegram here from george uh, now hmm. dad couldn't be here today so i'm going to read it out what his opinion okay. of the piece was uh this is a quote from george cedarquist uh fellow co-host uh, quote this was a beautiful execution of a profound work the very fact that 90 minutes of music were completely memorized by the singers of the los angeles master chorale and conductor grant gershon was astounding as you mentioned oliver I love Peter Sellers' aesthetic. In my opinion, he's the most important American opera director working today. And while his staging of Lagrime was expressive, Gershon did things that I've never seen a conductor do before. He moved with the singers in the same physical style as the singers, kneeling, turning, bowing, gesturing. I'm stealing that idea for my next show, end quote. <laughs> and can I say that as the conductor of what may be his next show, I'm a little bit intimidated by this? <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, Catherine, what do you think about sort of this, uh, uh, this sort of notion of bringing on a renaissance work into an opera show into a into an environment like Ravinia do you think there's any value in blending those genres or do you think we should keep them separate well i think you know genres came they coalesced because of the demands and tastes of the environments that they were you know that they were created in and i think it's i just love it when presentations venture into unexplored gray areas of that sort of thing um i did not get to see the show cuz i didn't notice it before. <laughs> it was, it was, it, it, I found out about it afterwards, but there are some clips on the LA Master Chorale's uh, website, and I got to see it, and it really looked like a combination of theater and ballet and, of course, the early music, and I don't see why not. I think that we're a little strict with those genre titles at times. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I feel like, you know, uh, I feel like people kind of had this same debate uh, back, particularly in the uh, 18th and 19th century, you know, uh, where you have like a, a lyric opera, you have uh, opera comique, uh, all these like tons, even like sight opera with, uh, uh, and, and in those eras, they sort of clashed and argued about what was what. Um, and now looking back from a 21st century perspective, I feel like everyone just kind of lumps in in the same area of opera or at the very least the same area of, oh, it's just classical music like anything else. Uh, and I, 
do, is there anything lost in doing that? Uh, or do you think it's valid? What, do you have any opinions, Toby? No, I mean, I, I think it's totally valid. As long yeah. as you're presenting the work and the work is still the work. I mean, and it's kind of... I think one of the things that I think as a performer in the 21st century that we lose is the sense of virtuosity. And um, we become so transfixed on what's on the page rather than what we could also add to it um, as an artist. And so, no, I think it's it's very valid to present in a different way. I'm curious, what was the setup like on the stage, Oliver? I've never seen anything like that at Ravinia. There was no setup. Uh, it was a blank, empty stage with like enough chairs for each of the singers. They only used the chairs for like one or two of the madrigals. And uh, they were pushed like far back uh, upstage. Okay. And uh, yeah, they just came out and they formed like a semicircle and they began the first piece. And then the movement began and it was just like... And the conductor was where? Everywhere. Uh, yeah, where, <laughs> where, where, where he should be, but, um, you know, and uh, you know, weirdly downstage, but with his back to the audience. But the okay. whole thing was memorized. So he was able to like walk in every corner of the stage and they would just like follow him with their eyes and i kind of like that yeah it was i mean it was a completely virtuosic performance and i think it's something that people should experience did all of the components add up to one like profound moving experience for me not but mm. i still enjoyed it for its beauty classic yeah. oliver always looking and, for that gesamtkunstwerk yeah. <laughs> and i think a lot of that lot. might be from what you said earlier about the venue not necessarily feeding into that that concept because when i when i watched those clips i remember thinking man this would be amazing to be surrounded in this yeah and the idea mm. of it being on a stage you know especially in a twenty thousand seat you know pavilion that makes it it, it would be really hard to feel that immerse, immersiveness yeah absolutely uh well i think that's enough on that subject we're gonna move on uh it's the clash of the titans in maryland that's uh, coming up next on Opera Box Score and WNUR Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's right, you're listening to Opera Box Score, and on this Chalk Talk, Elizabeth Blank Biggs has been fired from the Maryland Lyric Opera's concert performances of La Fanchula del West. The soprano announced the news via social media, noting that she was not advised by the company that she would no longer be singing the performance. Uh, and here's a quote from her statement. Quote, with no warning or prior discussion, I was released for no, all caps, stated cause in an email on a Sunday evening, the company day off. 
This, not coincidentally, happened the day after I complained to the general-slash-artistic director about the rehearsals where I was humiliated, insulted, and subjected to sexual innuendo and generally unacceptable behavior by the music director. End quote. Now, that is starting to feel kind of like a familiar story, unfortunately. We've been talking about the uh, continuing Me Too process going through classical music at the moment. What makes this one different, do you think, Oliver? Oh, what what makes well, this one different? Can or you... the same, yeah, even. Yeah, I'm going to actually finish what she also posted on her social media. Sure. Uh, Wesson, she's, she went on to say, I'm making this post not to evoke pity or sadness, but to warn my colleagues and students that still, in 2018... In our supposed, quote, awakened music business, an artist can be fired for standing up and demanding to be treated in a reasonable and professional professional manner. I have never endured such treatment in 20 years, no matter in a professional, amateur, or university situation. So there's a little bit more to that. But what does this mean? You know, we've talked about this, and this doesn't... uh, To me, this doesn't fall necessarily under the Me Too that we've discussed with certain situations here in the opera business, though she does say that there was innuendo, sexual innuendo. Um, But what's interesting to me is that she was fired and there was no cause. And she, her management hasn't received any information. They've not returned her emails. There's a follow-up article. Um, And what's disturbing from my perspective is the fact that there's still no protocol. There's still no, there are no HR departments for performers to actually call. And like, Mm -hmm. of course, opera companies have HR departments and stuff, but not in the way you can't, you can't anonymously report your superiors because they are the people who are going to get these reports. Right. And I I think it's notable that she went, she's going public with this after the fact, she went to the general director. Right. She tried to keep it within the company first and was punished for that move. And um, well, I mean, for no stated cause, but I mean, I think it's just it's the case right now that the safest thing to say is to say nothing, because otherwise you're putting it on record that you perhaps know that something is going on. And it's clear that that's not something they want on the record. And what is particularly awful about this situation is that she now is on the record on her social Mm -hmm. media about being fired. And she said it was the general slash artistic director. And then Marilyn Lyric Opera responds with a statement from the G, the general manager uh, uh, about whom this complaint was filed, which to me is just absolute nonsense. And I'm going to read his response. Um, he said, while we cannot discuss details of our decision to part ways with Miss um, Blankbridge, out of respect for her privacy, we can assure you that we have looked into the situation and we know that our opera company has acted appropriately and professionally at all times. Um, she's a talented performer, and we wish her well. Thank you. I mean, <sighs> totally dismissive. This is, you know, not to get too political, because, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say <laughs> well, anything. Well, no, it might be too no, late. No, but it's like, it's, like it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, you see what's going on with the Supreme Court nomination currently, and there's these allegations going on, and they're being dismissed because they happened a long time ago. Well, mm-hmm. I, right. I mean, and then there's just so many different ways to look at that, but I, I, we have to take the the person making this accusation we have to take them seriously we we owe it to them that that, that, and their credibility that the fact they're brave enough to step forward and she's publicly saying this i mean we have to take that seriously and for him to just be totally dismissed and be like yeah we fired her but we're not going to talk about it it's it really is uh, indicative of a really systemic problem um not just in this industry but uh in 
all industries. And I have to say, I, I think that uh, maybe we as Opera Box Score uh, have been part of the problem because we keep covering uh, these Me Too stories and things. And uh, yeah, I think this is the first time we've covered it and actually had a woman co-host. Oh. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, not to put you on the spot or anything, <laughs> Catherine, um, but do you think that there's anything in the dialogue about, in uh, in classical music uh, particularly, that needs to be said that isn't being said or is not being said enough um, to help solve these problems of sexism and uh, and and all of this in the industry. Well, there's miles more to be said, but I mean, as this is indicative of a larger problem, it's also indicative of things moving in a in a positive direction, I think, in the sense that she's saying this. You know, if it happened to me, I know I would probably be somewhat afraid that I would be labeled as a difficult person to work with. You know, mm. if that I would also want to keep this whole thing quiet. And it shows a certain amount of faith that society is ready to in a he said, he said, she said situation, take both sides somewhat seriously. And I think so, as disappointing as it is that there's no real path to pursue to you know, resolve this just yet, the fact that it is that she felt comfortable to speak and trusts that people will listen, that's all, that is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Now, I think the, uh, the, 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 despite the sort of the progress, the, the fact that all these, uh, these accusations are coming to light. I think it's important to say, uh, to point out to people who are, you know, skeptical of the Me Too movement, uh, is that it's not, it's not simply a matter of all these things are just <coughs> happening all of a sudden. This is, exactly. these are things that have been happening for, and just people have not been able to say them. But now, finally, there's this sort of push to, to bring these things to light and to really bring them uh, forward, and then we can do something about them. I think, however, that the response, uh, the very lackluster response, I might add, from uh, the Lyric Opera Company is definitely an indication that, that we're not there yet. We but haven't gotten to the just, next step. It's not just this particular company that's had lackluster responses. And, oh, yeah. and a lot of the responses where firings or removals or resignations have taken place have been because of public outcry, not right. because the institution itself wanted to respond. And yeah. I think that's also telling. But I do think the good faith, I think society, Kathy, you're, Catherine, you're so mm -hmm. right about that. <laughs> We're ready for that. Um, Sweet Kathy, little Kathy. No, yes. <laughs> no, I usually go by Kathy. He's forgiven. Um, but, you know, the other thing I wanted to kind of point out is that Opera Wire, which is covering this, also put something up recently about this production and highlighting it and promoting it without mentioning this like so there was a separate article really yeah because I, I read a, a little bit of the promo for that too and it just seemed a little bit strange that that they they were doing the responsible thing and covering it but also to some extent keeping that element quiet in well it, ju mm -hmm. it just happened Th like just today like or? sunday yesterday okay maybe maybe it was a time of uh thing because i know it was focusing mostly on the mini in that promo so okay. possibly but i mean is it is it opera wire's case. responsibility to are they like I mean, do we think Opera Wire is journalism, you know? Well, yeah. I think... Uh, do we think in, we're in, journalism? No, <laughs> not, not at all. That's I a dangerous question. A all. very dangerous question. None of us have any journalism... I do. Like, 
<laughs> Do I mean, you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wrote for a major newspaper and I worked for a, a radio station, uh, WBHM. But I'm saying, like, do we, like, really do our research and vet everything before we say it? Like, you know, we I never sure... do any research, all of No, but I'm saying, like, are we sure that the stuff that we're disseminating <laughs> right, out here is, right. like, truth, you right. know? No, well, I, I mean, you. there there is a certain aspect to that that does have to be considered because even, even working as a journalist, often you have really tight deadlines. And I, I can't count the number of times I would write a story and um, and and send it out, and we published, and then uh, an hour later there'd be a major development that rendered my story completely worthless. Sure, yeah, it's and a very it, fair it does point. happen. But it, to your question, I would say, uh, Opera Wire is, <laughs> at least for opera, it is. Well, journalism. it's where we're getting the news. Yeah, about right. this. You know, <laughs> it's not slipped disc. I don't think that Opera Wire be has, slip disc? Is, is, should be held to a standard that we would hold like right. the New York Times or Washington Post. Well, right. But I do think that with the uh, ongoing uh, demise, if you want to be pessimistic, of print media and things like this, we do we are depending more and more on these things. Um, and I think there there should be some... Uh, some injection of in journalistic integrity into uh, smaller, more amateur operations like like ours, frankly. Like Opera Box Score. <laughs> um, but I mean, I know I always try to do as much research as possible, um, uh, and uh, I'm sure Opera Wire does the same. But there, there is there are considerations that have to be made, particularly when you're talking about issues that don't just affect opera, but you know the. Uh, the but, Me Too movement as a whole. But with like this that. particular story, I feel like they did present all the facts that mm -hmm. are present. Right. 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 I think so, too. But notice that not many other, if any, uh, you know, journalistic uh, organizations are reporting pick, this. picked up this story. I mean, I it's that. in Slip Disc. <laughs> and Maryland Lyric Opera responded to it. But, um, I mean, what would be an acceptable response for you? For, like, as a woman... As one of the few women that ever comes through here. <laughs> oh my goodness! What would be an acceptable response from an opera company to these types of things? I mean, like we don't want to slander this music director, this conductor, without having all the facts and without you know we can't, right? You know, impugn him without really knowing. And but if you have an accusation, what would you like? meant to say tell us what we need to say to make it better <laughs> oh, help us I please would, i wish i knew yeah. uh, what i would say is if somebody goes to the general and artistic director and complains about the music director i would hope that the general and artistic director has a conversation and tries to rectify the situation with the music director and lets him know that that was inappropriate and that cannot continue and like issue some sort of some sort of warning that way to him and if there are future complaints, follow through with whatever threat was put in, yeah. in, you know, in place with the warning, not turn around and fire the person who complained. I mean, mm. since they're stating no cause, we can't say that that's the only thing in play here. You right. know, the, we yeah. all know that produ in productions, there are a lot of factors involved. Yeah, people um, come unprepared, you know, or they can't say it, though they said they could, and maybe they're having vocal problems. There's all sorts of things, you know. It does happen. But um, yeah. I would, if, if the situation were cut and dry... I would hope that they would try to fix the, fix the situation. Give him a, it, it, maybe you don't want to fire your music director right for something like this. That's still, you know, to some extent hearsay, but t keep an eye on that for sure. Put a stop to it and keep an eye on it. And if it persists, then you have to step. You have to move forward. Um, Tars and feathers. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is a certain sense though that like reputation is a really big deal in this in this business. And if they do get a reputation for the, these kinds of issues. 
then they're not necessarily going to get attract the top talent, and that's going to lower that's going to lower the quality of the product. And I think that's part of the importance of her coming forward with this statement and trusting the field to respond accordingly. That's what she in the part that Toby added on. Um, of, of her statement, she mentioned that she was not doing this to evoke pity or sadness, but to warn her colleagues and students. And that, I think, that's pretty powerful by itself, too. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, fire all the men, <laughs> replace them with women, and especially the conductors. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully we don't need to go to quite those uh, extremes, but we do need to, it is something that needs to be worked on. A couple opera-related lists have just been published. Find out what's on them. That's next on America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear-a-hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. The Metropolitan Opera has announced that it will present Sunday matinee performances for the first time in the company's history beginning in the fall of 2019. The shift in the performance schedule came after the Met reached a landmark agreement with the unions representing the company's musicians and chorus. Israel's public broadcaster has apologized to listeners after music by Richard Wagner was played on the radio. Earlier this month, a leading classical music station played part of Wagner's Goethe-Demmerung. In its apology, the broadcaster said the editor had erred in his, quote, artistic choice, and Wagner would not be played. An ad for a recent Andrea Bocelli concert said that he would be singing in the beautiful Tuscan countryside with special guests, but a group of British tourists who shelled out almost 1,400 pounds each for the trip were left bitterly disappointed. According to the Daily Mail, one attendee said, quote, We couldn't understand the transcript. It was all in Italian. We wouldn't have paid all that money if it had been advertised as an opera. It's like booking tickets to see the rugby and getting there and being greeted with a ballet. The opera was Giordano's Andrea Chenier. WQXR writer Fred Plotkin has released his biennial list of 40 opera singers under 40 that are worth looking out for. We'll go through the list in our hot takes. Speaking of lists, Kim Whitman, vice president for opera and classical programming at Wolf Trap Opera Company, has released her annual stats on what arias are being sung first in auditions, broken down by voice type. We'll take a closer look at that, too, in a second. And on this day, September 17th, pioneering opera composer Francesco Sacrati, remembered for opera's first mad scene in the 1641 work La Finta Pazza, was born in 1605. And tenor Fritz Wunderlich died in an accident at the age of 35 in 1966. And that is your two-minute drill. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is opera 
Box score. And we're back. All right. So we have two lists here. What do we want to tackle first, Oliver? I think it's fun to read Kim Whitman's uh, list of the arias that people starter start. arias. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fun. I know, like singers all over. We always look forward to seeing stuff like this because. Oh man, that's the most neurotic thing. What are you starting with? <laughs> what's what's in your package? And I'm always like, let me show you my package. Hashtag me too. Oh no, hashtag Whoa, us. Okay. Oh, okay. No, it's really interesting to see this stuff, especially as an active singer and someone who still has dreams. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. So it's broken down into two lists. I'm trying to get this link to work so I can read to you. Um, but it's broken down into two lists. One for their, they have two different programs at Wolf Trap. Um, they have essentially the emerging professionals. And these are people who've already done, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. They've already done young artist programs at different uh, various levels. And then the other one is their young artists uh, who are just mostly finishing graduate work, I believe. Does that sound accurate to everyone? They're, they're like the most pre-professional the most pre-professional. Are you talking about? I'm sorry. Which which <laughs> was you talking about first? Whatever the second list is. Hold yeah. on. What are they called? The Filene Studio Artists. That's like, what yeah. it is. Like the Filene Basement. Yeah. Hold on. I'm trying to get it to load. So, um, there we go. So yeah, if you open up these links, uh, let's start with the tenor list. Uh, the Filene artists, um, are the ones that are singing like the bigger rep. Uh, the most popular arias uh, on that are. And for um, instance, the only there's only a few that. Got repeated, which is yeah. interesting. Dono non vidi mai. Does that yeah. surprise you? Uh, totally. That's yeah. Actually, me. a little manon let's go. But it's, yeah. it's short and it's loud. That's the thing. You know? And it's beautiful. And then for the studio artist level, um, it's Una Furtiva Lagrima. Which is remarkably difficult. And it's interesting yes. to me that a, that the younger tenors, would more of them would start with that. But I mean, it's never Reno, and everybody thinks, ah, it's never Reno, it's Belcanto, it's healthy. But I think that's an extraordinarily difficult aria. I agree. <laughs> yeah, your technique has to be um, in place. Do you know stuff. this aria? So going back to the filing list, it's about the way. Do you know this aria? I don't even know what that is. I, it's, it's, Should I? Oh, maybe yeah. it's Sam from... Uh, from, no, no from it's not. Susanna. <laughs> Maybe Susanna. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's from Susanna. I was going to say, not street scenes. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Lonely House, which is on the yeah. list. I'm glad it's somewhere. And then the second for studio artists is Disbildness, which is obvious. Yep. Uh, both lists have Kuda Kuda <laughs> in the third place from Eugene Nagin. The funny thing about Kuda Kuda, one, it's really long. I think it's just, it doesn't do a whole lot. But also that is the fact that it's second on both lists is when mm-hmm. you know everybody's like, oh, I have to have five arias. Guess I'll just learn this Russian. Like, you yeah. know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. yeah. there's great Russian repertoire yeah. out there for young tenors. Oh, absolutely. Why learn yeah. the hard, like the long one? <laughs> I mean, I think it's about a mood and it's about yeah. like being able to do that tenor, you know, uh, pathetic tenor moment. Yeah. You know, you know that's Center and sadness, you know. Have I ever told you about trying to see? I know we're talking about this. <laughs> Russian is not my native tongue. <laughs> no. And when I was coaching in grad school, um, I was coaching with a Russian native speaker, and I was doing from the Snow Maiden, uh, Polna Polna Chudis. Do you know that aria? It's beautiful. Polna, polna I've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. And she would repeat. She would speak the text, and she'd be like. And, I, and I'd be like, Perna, Perna, kind of and, and she was like, You're not even close. And I'm like, I was like, What are you talking about? She's like, Your tongue makes wrong shapes. And I'm like, 
It's like, I'm sorry, I'm trying really I hard. I love here. that honesty. Uh, so sad. So I'm going to keep that from Switching my over to the mezzo list, uh, I think the studio artist number one choice is the most obvious thing. It's Mozart, oh, no. Cosi fan tutti's mani in Piccabili. And I do I not love that aria. Say what? I do not love that aria. I love that aria as, uh, as an addition art because you get to do a really great accompagnato recit. That's true. That's very true. But usually after I've heard that, I don't need to hear the aria. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, I, I, you can stop after like the first <laughs> yeah, one or two like, pages. You know? Oh, I know whether you can do this or not. But okay, also the thing that's interesting about that aria is that it um, it asks you to be melodramatic, you know, and histrionic. Yeah. And so I find a lot of mezzos like over sing mm. and then they get to that last that last phrase with the uh, chromatic, you know, si that small scale going. Yeah. They start to push. They've bitten and off a bit more than they can than Yeah, they can and chew that's at that right point. on yeah. the mezzo break. So that's it's, true. you know, I feel like it's more comfortable for a soprano to sing that than mm. a mezzo to sing it, you know? I'm just yeah. And the Filene artist, the number one aria was Crude Furie. Uh, actually, it's a Thai parto parto. Sein wie wieder gut war from Werther, wie du warst from Rosen Cavalier. And then something in Russian, I don't know, Podrugi Milie. What, what's that. the opera? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure a mezzo knows. <laughs> I think if you're actually, a mezzo, tweet us <laughs> at Opera Box Score and let us know what go. that is. <laughs> I think we actually read the tenor one wrong to it. The 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 arias that are Wait, go back the, to the tenor one. The tenor ones, the the top four arias that the filing artists sing. Uh, are Dona non vidi mai. It's about the way Cuda Cuda and Non puede ser, which which is opera. <laughs> which, uh, no puede ser, no puede yeah. ser. And the studio like artist number one choice is Una Fuggio Lagrima. Mm. Mm -hmm. No, you were right. That's how we did it. Yeah, but no, we just there's like a tie thing happening yeah. here that we're not acknowledging. And part of the reason for that is because at least on this mezzo, like all of those that were tied were tied at two. Yeah. Can I just say, like, you know, in the list where they show all of the arias that that people brought, yeah. there's a lot more clumping. I noticed, yeah. and I was really happy to see how many ones and twos were on these lists. Yeah, well, the soprano yeah. one is the one that gets really comprehensive. Um, so forty-four times, because there's always more sopranos, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, aria Achishvils from Magic Flute was offered forty-four times as the first offering. What? Uh, and then the runner-up of wait, wait, no, no, I have list? three. No, this is the list I thought <laughs> I was talking. We were going to be looking at. This is the when you click on the soprano link. So the, look, I'm on the soprano starting arias. Oh wow! Okay, what does it say? <laughs> three for it the says three. So I mean. you have the list that I thought we were going to have, where it talks about like mm -hmm. seasonal. Because look, look at the numbers yeah. there; they're so vastly different. Yeah. Because this is just for Wolf Trap. I feel like. Okay. But still. So maybe I, I press the magic button one. somehow. Yeah, yeah so. look at your green chart. Well, we just have a lot of lists yeah. on uh, tonight's show. Speaking of which, we're in the middle of our two-minute drill segment, which means that you, the listener, can call in 847-866-9687 and have your opera voice heard. Now, that won't work if you're listening on the podcast version of the show, but, I mean, you can, you can still call. I mean, and you if you're And if you're Nadine Sierra, it'd be great if you called right now. Oh, that'd be now, great. So. I would love it, yeah. <laughs> uh, any, any, anyone for our uh, show. Yeah. Um, Look at the, wait, before we go off to the, the wolf trap thing, I'm so, I, I La Causa, so of course, glad for on both lists. Yeah, yeah. that's I'm obvious. I'm so glad that I'm not a baritone. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't because, know. Because everybody has to sing that aria. It's like yeah. it's like, yeah, it's a right of passage. Is Avon the Hite on there? I think it's great. Being yeah, a it's number. Personally. It's in the third place for mm -hmm. the studio artist. All right, let's move oh, on I to the next. It would be more on the theme. Well, I, 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 before we get to read, all of you go to the Wolf Traps website. What is the link? 
uh, it's uh, it'll be opera.worldtrap.org and you'll find it. It'll Let's be posted starter, on our website uh, presently by George because George has got our backs. Um, let's move on to the next list uh, by everyone's favorite opera uncle, Fred Plotkin. Yes. <laughs> Aww, uncle Fred. <laughs> uncle Fred. He looks like a like a uncle. Uh, and anyway, so he's uh, he has a list of forty opera singers under forty, forty under forty that are worth looking out for. Uh, and there's a, a quite enough because you know a lot of them are new singers. They're quite a few I did not know, but there are a few kind of all-stars that I've definitely seen sort of popping up around. Um, what were some highlights for you guys? Well, we picked a couple, and we'll, we'll go through them sort of alphabetically, uh, ones that stuck out for us that, that we have like some personal connection to. Uh, first, we're going to start with a little bit of Angel Blue, oh, yeah. just because she has that adorable uh, things that our kids interview an opera singer. Have you guys haven't watched oh, that yet? Yeah. No. Absolutely. It is so it's sweet. It's so great. It's, it went viral on Facebook, and it, it, is, it is the most adorable thing you'll ever see. I'm sure we can get a link to it's that on our website It's spreading like well. syphilis. It's adorable. Aww. <laughs> what a great image. So let's hear a little bit of Angel Blue singing uh, Sempre Libera. Another singer I want to highlight uh, on this list is soprano Michelle Bradley. Um, Michelle Bradley was the Clotilda in the Norma broadcast, the HD broadcast that had Sandra Rodvanovsky and Joyce Donato last mm-hmm. year. And I remember, you know, Clotilda has m- maybe all of eight lines of music in the whole show. Same with but High Priestess. Every time she sang, I was like, who is this girl? And I remember just like going home and like Googling her and like seeing that she's winning all these competitions and she's like a, maybe she's a Lindemann artist or something like that. She's done some great stuff and she is for sure going to have a major career just based on her tone quality alone. Uh, Let's hear her sing a little bit of He's Got the Whole World because why not? got the whole world in his hands. And now, true story about me, I would sing this song all the time as a little kid. I loved it. That is the, I think, the um, the arrangement that Jesse Norman sings. Oh, it uh, is. Yeah. Uh, that, and yeah, that's when, right. another teaser, those of you who want to hear the rest of that, go listen to that. It's so good. It's hot. <laughs> it sizzles. <laughs> it's hot. Anything Jesse Norman does sizzles. Yeah. Um, 
Another singer we're going to get a sample of is a singer we talked about last week, the mezzo-soprano from Canada, who looks like a young Liza Minnelli. Uh, Emily <laughs> D'Angelo, who won everything at Operalia, and he, she won Placido Domingo's Heart as well. Here is Emily D'Angelo singing a little bit of Handel. You know, I can't believe I never heard of her before last week. You know, she's the exactly the kind of rep I listen to on all the time, and she mm. hadn't come up on my radar until literally mm. last week when we talked about her uh, in terms of the Operalia composition. But she's great. Um, the last it. one that we're going to listen to is actually someone that I've performed with um, a couple oh. times and has become a friend and is awesome. Her name is Naomi, Lu- Naomi Louisa O'Connell. Um, a mezzo-soprano from Ireland, studied at Juilliard, and has been acclaimed for her sensitivity to the meaning and sound of words and how mm. they connect to music. Uh, I will say, the first time she walked into the rehearsal space, I stopped what I was doing. I was like, who is this beautiful woman? And she just like <laughs> owned the entire room. And like she would sing, and no one would move. She would just sing, and everybody's like, st- blank face, like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do that, but I want to do that. Like, mm-hmm. Just enthralling when watching this person on stage. And I think it's cool when you see somebody... Uh, instill kind of that power. wonder. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I was in the same show she was, <laughs> and I was taken away by her, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I lost my focus. What's my line? Oh, like, my com- don't, don't say that. No, You're my beautiful. Com- no, no, not even that. You're I mean, beautiful like, on the inside, Toby. She was Toby. so powerful yeah. on stage that I found yeah. myself drawn into that. And I was like, oh, I'm, I should be doing my job as well. Do you know what I mean? Oh, good. Like, don't you, forget to sing. Toby. You felt yeah. like a challenge. <laughs> Oh, to yeah. yourself. I no, loved that. I loved it. Uh, anyway, she's singing some Rossini. Rossini here. What was it? This is La Ragata Veneziana with pianist Brent Underbunk, also known as my husband. And if you look at the video that that uh, clip is taken from, you can just see just she's she's so 
in the moment and so just kind of glowing. You know I, I, mean? I, I love I really those see what you mean, songs Toby. so much. Uh, I just want to say that there's some other people that uh, we have a relationship to here on Opera Box Score. Arya Nussbaum Cohen made the list, who's been our guest twice. He's like the only repeat guest, I think. Uh, AJ Gluckert, who is the husband of former Opera Now guest Laura Quest Gluckert. Uh, he's a young Heldon tenor. Um, I think we talked about him when he was doing some competition some time ago. Uh, Catherine Lewick, who made my list last year of best performances in Chicago for her Queen of the Night at Lyric Opera Chicago. Uh, Renee Barbera, who did the uh, Ryan Opera Center program and now gets bell concert leading roles all over the world. All over the world. All over the world. <laughs> all over the world. Yeah. And Jakob Josef Orlinski, hey. also known as my husband, uh, <laughs> who was our interview guest a couple months ago. And friend of the show, Nick Pon mm. tenor. Can I uh, shout out too to for please. Angel Azara, um, who was just singing a fantastic Donna Anna in Dell'Arte Opera's uh, Don Giovanni. I was there conducting the Salieri La Cifra American premiere and got to watch the Don Drink. Giovanni. You <laughs> you met Alison Gish? Oh yeah, yeah. She sang. No, she was, she did a fantastic she's job. Amazing. Oh Alison Gish. Shout out to Alison Gish. Yay. That's soprano. <laughs> All right, we got some more stories to cover here. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, first, Andrea I want to Bo- make sure that the listeners know 847 866 9687 is our number in studio. You're running out of chances to call in and give your opinions on these stories. Nadine. Uh, and specifically, <laughs> some singers may. Uh, you know, She's going to call listeners. us at 955. Yeah. Hey, wait, are we going to talk about these other stories? Oh, absolutely. Can we talk I, about I, the Andrea Bocelli? <laughs> I absolutely was going to talk about that one because I've been itching the entire show before the show started i wanted to talk about (laughs) so obviously it's from the daily mail the daily mail is kind of a garbage newspaper but this is also kind of just a a delight delightful story oh i love it it makes me happy in a way that is kind of masochistic you know (laughs) so these these tourists spent uh in fairness quite a bit of money 1400 pounds to go see uh, what they thought was going to be a big sort of pop crossover uh, concert with uh, Mr. Bocelli. And instead they saw Andrea Chenier and were just phenomenally disappointed. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was funny. If you read the entire article, which I don't know if we're going to link it or not, but if you read the entire article, they were like, they were waiting for Ed Sheeran to pop out. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, they're like, oh, I thought I was going to the O2 in, in London. Like, this is what I was waiting on. No, like, you're on some rustic Tuscan countryside. You have to know. And they're like, and it's all in Italian. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm crying just a little bit. My favorite um, line is like, it's like booking tickets to see. That's the, the danger of yep. crossover. I think that really Absolutely. is. I think that people like Andre Bocelli or... Paul Potts or Charlotte Church or whoever, like if they ever Josh showed up, Robin. if they ever showed up Robin. in a real show, the audience would be so confused. Like well, you know, I absolutely. Mean, truth and advertising matters. Yeah, you know, not in <laughs> Italy. Probably yeah. there is a way of doing that that would have worked and not disappointed yeah. people. But you know, he's still got a crowd. People still probably would have turned and up. Andre is a it's, long song. Yeah, it's a tough opera, and I don't even know if if Bocelli's up to the task of it. You know, I yeah. I, oh no, he just he just has a little role. He's oh, not just title, you, like oh, okay. no, he's Andre oh. Chenier. No, yeah, really? no, Did you read the article? No, he's, he's not. <laughs> what? Now, who, now who's no. not? Do, he's now not he's even not Andre doing Chenier. No, man, who's playing Andre Chenier? Who cares? That's the better part of this story. <laughs> 
There's no, so he's many not levels. the title character. That's no. the. It has to be him. There's no, no way. It's absolutely not. There's no not. way he's not. He's got like <laughs> okay, a. People call, like, <laughs> call us right now. Let he's us got know. like a bit role at the beginning. And look, you could, there's a picture. He's not Andre Chenier. <laughs> This is why I loved this article so much. I was reading it. It was just layers of absurdity on top down, of each other. Making my computer freeze. Uh, uh, oh, your computer oh, got AIDS here. That's no good. It's it's it, this thing cracks me. But it does, as you said, it does point out one of the sort of weaknesses of classical crossover. Because I feel like a lot of people who defend it say it's kind of you know a gateway drug to quote real opera. And I feel like a lot of people just get a, a crossover and hit, hit kind of a wall. You know. Yep. Um, okay. So before we run out of time here, because we only have a few minutes left. Uh, the On This Day, tenor Fritz Wunderlich died in an accident at the age of 35 in 1966. And I will say, as a tenor and just as a lover of opera, that is one of the... It's a void in my musical life that we didn't get, one, more recordings, or two, advanced repertoire from Fritz Wunderlich, mm. because he died seriously in the middle of his prime i had no idea he was that young when he died yeah, yeah. and it was a tragic accident i like i think he fell down some stairs and had complications from drinking injuries, from drinking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> injuries that were sustained um but so we're gonna play a clip of him singing uh from mozart's the magic flute Just an absolutely gorgeous voice. It, uh, it doesn't exist any better than that. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. And may I say, very on brand for you, for the type of singer <laughs> you like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I am who I am. I love what I love. Yeah. yeah okay. A, I'm going to say this, that I don't know what happened with this event in Italy, but I, I found the Facebook ad, <laughs> and it doesn't give the whole cast, but it also does in no way suggest that, uh, that he's not Andre Chenier. <laughs> So I need something to clear this up for us. Did he sing? No. <laughs> Who sang it then? I have no idea, but it wasn't him. If you're listening, he, if you're there's listening, there's no other tenor bit part in that show. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it said. If in you the are Daily listening UK, to the show, the Daily Mail article that he had like a bit role at the beginning and one, and they didn't even realize it was him <laughs> on stage. If you are listening to this show right now, um, uh, make sure you tweet at at Opera Box Score and let us know who is right in, this, in the great perennial debate between to <laughs> Toby and Oliver Camacho. And uh, I can't wait to see who, uh, who wins and who loses next week. All right, we got to get into the end bit here, so let's go into it. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. All right, who has a good call? Who has a bad call? Hit me. Um, okay, I have two good calls. Um, one, uh, Haymarket Opera, their production of Cersei is coming just around the corner. Uh, check out Haymarket Opera in Chicago. They were our former guests, and I'm really looking forward to their production of Handel's Cersei. 
uh, which features mezzo-soprano Suzanne Lomler, who kind of blew me away when I heard her sing one of the virtuoso arias from this opera at a cabaret concert. And today at the Harris Theater, tickets went on sale for the series called Beyond the Aria, which is a very limited series that has stars of lyric opera uh, in very intimate recitals. Uh, this year, uh, Tamara Wilson is one of the singers, Jamie Barton, Michael Fabiano, Danielle Denise, Patricia Reset, Heidi Stober, Kyle Kettleson. Wow. Uh, <laughs> these are people that are going to appear on a stage that seats 300 people That's amazing. and blow your ears out. So tickets, <laughs> okay. tickets sell so fast for this thing. Check out Beyond the Aria at the Harris Theater. All right, who else has got one? Anyone? Anyone? I think no. it's a down to you. I got, I, got a bad, I got a bad call. Last week I said that fall was here. I was wrong. Summer is back. I can't wait, wait for it to die. And on that note, we're going to end the show. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Woodell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Catherine O'Shaughnessy, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera when you go apple picking this fall when it happens. We're back on Monday, September 24th at 9 p.m. Central with more opera news and hot takes. Join us then. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.